All right, you guys, I hope you're taking these challenges serious. It's good for us to stretch ourselves a little, and I I love this challenge this week. Uh, By the way, I'm Pastor Dan, one of the pastors around here. Uh, Our lead pastor, Pastor Chris, is on a sabbatical this month. And uh, yeah, come on, let's, let's give him a round of applause. He's not here but maybe he'll watch the video and see you plotting for him. Uh, But we love Pastor Chris, and a lot of people think a sabbatical, oh, that's nice, you get a vacation. It's not a vacation. A sabbatical is a time where he gets alone with God, he spends some time uh, letting God pour into him, and then also he gets vision, he he gets ideas uh, for not only teaching series, but what we're going to be doing as a church. So God pours into him, and so we need to keep him in prayer as we're uh, going through the month of July, and let's keep the momentum going. Guys, let's, let's keep showing up. We're going to be doing a new series, and the new series is called Getting in Line. And I have a confession to make. I hate lines. Hate, hate lines. I don't know if you guys like lines. Do you guys like lines? Teresa likes lines because she makes new friends. But... I do not like lines. I don't like lines of cars on the freeway because inevitably I get behind the car that allows a bunch of people in front of them. Does that ever happen? That's the worst. Or when you go to, this is a place that's worse than the DMV, Costco. You have to have at least... 10 carts before they'll open up that next lane, right? But I don't know if you guys play this game where you, you go and you have your cart and you probably have, it's a half full cart, so it's probably about $500, right? And, and you're looking at the different lanes and you'll, you'll count the number of carts, but you also have to weigh the relative amount of materials in each of those carts. And then what you do is you pick your lane. You can't take too long though where someone's gonna move in and get the best lane, right? So you get in your lane, and then what you do is you make sure you mark your place with all the other people that you could have been behind to be sure that you win the game that everybody else is playing but no one admits. And inevitably, just as you're about to get up there, the person right in front of you has a bunch of stuff, and they open a lane right next to you, and they say, I'll take the next person, and the one behind you races over and cuts in front of you because they're selfish. This has never happened to me before. But the point is, I don't like lines, but we learn to get in line from early on. When we're in kindergarten, we get in lines, right? And there's, there's order to that. No kindergarten teacher would want a mob trying to squeeze out the door. They say, get in line, we get in line, and we learn from that point on, the rest of our life, we are supposed to get in line. Well, lines do help us orderly advance and go forward in life. And the thing that's important is for us to know what's the most important. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Well, December 26, 2004, at 7.58 in the morning, there was a 9.1 magnitude earthquake under the Indian Ocean that lifted the floor, the ocean floor, as much as 130 feet in an instant. And after that floor raised, a wave 100 feet high first hit the city of Banda Atsi in Indonesia and completely scoured the city 
off the map and killed 100,000 people. Over the next eight hours, waves would hit multiple cities in multiple countries on multiple uh, continents and kill 230,000 people. And as the countries and as the relief agencies were thinking about going in in the aftermath, the first thing they had to do is they had to do a recovery effort, a rescue for people who were still alive and a recovery to try and help get these these cities back up and running again and take care of the people. They had to think about the medical needs with no electricity. They had to think about how do you get fresh water into a place that no longer has the ability to make fresh water and food. It was a monumental task. But in the aftermath of that, these countries and the emergency agencies got together and they said, in the future, we have to have some sort of early warning system. That has to be a priority. And next to that, we have to have some sort of organized plan for people to be moved out of danger areas when a tsunami happens. And they've put those things into place over the last almost 20 years. Some of you may have remembered that event. Well, the reality is that we tend to think about the priorities in life when there is some sort of a disaster that has taken place. The disaster could be uh, maybe a health disaster, right? It may not be a significant disaster, but maybe you go to the doctor and you find out that your blood pressure is high, your cholesterol is high, and all of a sudden your health and your eating becomes a little bit more of a priority, right? Or, or if you're having relational problems in a marriage and it's about to break up and you somehow make it back from that and you begin to, to repair and you begin to see, oh my gosh, we weren't doing some of the things we had to do to keep our marriage healthy. So you have new priorities now to keep that marriage healthy. It's also true of business, right? A business has some sort of a, a failure, an accident, and now there's new safety policies. We tend to think about the priorities in life when something bad is happening to us or right after something bad happens. And we all fall into one of three categories. So we are either in the middle of a disaster, large or small, uh, and some of you are saying, yeah, that's me right now, or we're, we're just coming out of a disaster. But some of you are going, I'm, that's not me, I'm not in either one of those. Well, you're in category three, which is a disaster is coming for you, right? <clears throat> we know that something's going to happen. Right? If you live any length of time, you realize something is going to happen. So how can we think about the things that are important in life and make sure that those things are number one, are taking precedence in our life? The Bible has a lot to say about priorities. There's a great Old Testament book called the Book of Proverbs. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of wisdom and practical applications to your life. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. If you read one a day, you can read the whole book in a month. Uh, One year I read it every day and I went through Proverbs 12 times in a year. So Proverbs 24, 27 says this. I think this has a lot of wisdom for us. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Now that might seem like common sense, right? But if, if you're living outside. It, it, here's some, some, some signs you may need a house. 
You wake up in the morning and there's dew on you, right? You go to sleep at night and you look up and you don't see the ceiling, you see the stars. Back in those days, it didn't feel good to be outside. It didn't feel good to have a rock as a pillow. You felt vulnerable to uh, wolves or animal, wild animals that might be out there. So the biggest pressing need you might feel in, in the moment where you're not, you don't have a house is, I need to build a house. And a lot of times in our life, that's what happens to us. We make priorities based on a current felt need. And a disaster could happen if you don't have a house. It's possible. But an even bigger disaster will happen if you don't take care of your fields first. This was an agricultural uh, culture. And one of the things that they did is they grew their food that they ate, wheat, barley, things like that. And they didn't have an irrigation system. They couldn't turn on the spigot like I do in my backyard to water my plants. They had to plant before the rainy season. So it's probably a time of year, it's a little bit cold, doesn't feel good to be outside. But they had to do that first because if they didn't, when the rains came, they would for sure die. So there's priorities we have to make, but we can't allow the pressing things, the things that seem to be in our face, be what determines them. So let's look at three things from the life of Jesus this morning that can help us Put important things first. Point number one in your notes, you can get your notes out if you have them, is putting important concerns first means prioritizing my priorities. Prioritizing my priorities. Kind of seems redundant, but I do think a lot of us can get distracted when it comes to our priorities. We should only do what only we can do. We often uh, have other people coming into our lives that have certain expectations of us or, or they have a problem and we get drawn into it. You ever have your kids do that to you, right? They have, whatever's going on in their life is the most important thing right now and they will drag you into their problem if you will let them. We have friends that will do this. Sometimes in businesses, they will try and take things from us that they don't deserve to take from us. We have certain priorities in our life, and we have to understand that we determine those, and they're ours. And so how do we discover what our, are our priorities? Let's look at what Jesus did in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. This is a really fascinating verse. I'm going to break it down a little bit for you. But um, before daybreak the next morning, so I'll talk about the night before in a minute. Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Now, when you understand what happened the night before, you realize this is kind of a big deal. Because the night before, it says that the entire town had come to this house where Jesus was staying after sunset. They had probably been doing ministry, but after sunset was the only time people could bring the, the loved ones in their family and their friends to be healed. It says there were some demon-possessed people, and it says Jesus healed many. 
It doesn't say all. It says many. And so all these people were pressing on the house and it was surrounded with people. And at some point during the night, they had to cut things off and send people home. And so kind of the scene is the next morning, uh, Peter wakes up to a knock on the door and he gets up and we all know this, right? If we didn't get served the day before, we want to get there early the next day to make sure we're taken care of. So Peter wakes up, rubs the sleep out of his eyes, goes over the door, opens it up, and there's a line forming, a line of people waiting to be ministered to, to be healed, to have demons cast out. Whatever their needs were, they were there to see Jesus because they knew that was the answer to their problem. And so Peter gets up and he says, I imagine, hey, you guys wait right here. I don't know where Jesus is. I just look, he's not here. He's my homie. You know, we're close, we're tight. I got some influence with him. So let me go get him. I'll bring him back. We'll take care of all of you guys. So Peter goes off, and this is kind of interesting, interrupts Jesus in prayer. It says Jesus is praying. He goes and finds him and gets him and says, hey, Jesus, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but there's a whole bunch of people waiting. I know you're praying and everything, but there's a bunch of people waiting to be ministered to, need some healing. And I gave, I told him I would bring you right back. And so Peter is trying to get Jesus to go do something because Peter has an expectation. He has an expectation, and so does everybody else at this house, that Jesus, this kind, compassionate person, will go back and take care of their needs. But Jesus says, no, we're going to the next town. In fact, let's leave right now. And I can imagine Peter going, wait, wait a minute. I gave them, my, I told them I was going to come get you. There's an expectation that you're going to be going back. No, we're going. I'm filling in the blanks here. But you can imagine if someone's expectation is for you to do something and you don't, it's going to disappoint someone. An expectation is a commitment that you make for someone else. I'll say it again. An expectation is a commitment you make for someone else. That's why we get so disappointed when someone doesn't meet our expectations because we think they let us down. They broke some sort of a commitment that we just assigned to them. But here Jesus knows what he's supposed to do. He knows who he is. He knows his identity and he knows his mission and his calling. And every single one of us have a calling. We do. It's different for all of us. Pastor Chris isn't the only one with a calling, right? A calling. We get the word vocation, vocal from calling. Every single person in this room has a unique network of friends, a unique network of family that no one else on earth has. Everyone in this room has experiences that are different than everyone else's, has gifts and talents and abilities different than everyone else's. And there's only one person that can fulfill your calling, and that's you. No one else. And I think it behooves us to spend some time in prayer and make sure that we are following the calling that God has laid on us and not the expectations someone else is placing on us. Does that make sense? This is what Jesus taught us in this, and it's not easy because we have to be willing to say no if we're going to say yes to something else. 
So the first thing we have to do is make sure we're prioritizing our priorities. Second thing, putting important concerns first means expanding our capacity, expanding our capacity. Um, anybody ever, you've heard this said, right? Uh, they have so much potential. You ever heard that? So much potential. Uh, we say that about kids sometimes, or we say that about people that are in sports and we, they're in high school and we know they have, they have the potential to be an NBA player. Or we think about potential often in terms of, you know, this is where they are now, but someday they're going to be somewhere else. All potential is, is the gap between where we are right now and where we should be or could be, right? And if we don't have the right priorities, we stay stuck from achieving the potential that God wants for us. It's really interesting when you see Jesus explain uh, what we all experience in life, and he kind of flips it and he says, you guys got your priorities all wrong. He says this in Matthew 6, 31. And this is after he actually gives the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But in Matthew 6, 31, he says this, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So there's a certain order to things, and we think sometimes, oh, I got to take care of this because we're feeling that pressing need. But the reality is, if we're not putting first things first, if we're not seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, we're going to be frustrated with not being able to uh, accomplish our potential that God has given us. And so uh, I think sometimes we, we un one of the problems we struggle with is we don't understand the value of putting something first. I'll give you a, a little illustration. When I was in, uh, we were, Teresa and I were on a little mini vacation. We were in Santa Cruz, and there's this coffee shop we love. It's called Verve Coffee Shop. And we were sitting in there one day, and I like exotic cars. You know, it's kind of cool to see these cars I could never possibly afford. So um, outside the shop, this car pulls up, and I have never seen anything like it. It wasn't a Lamborghini, it wasn't a Ferrari. It was this super exotic car. So I popped my head around and I looked at the back. You can see the little, uh, little plate that tells what it is. It was a Pagani. Anybody ever heard of a Pagani? It's so exotic that, it, you know, Lamborghini wishes they were Pagani. <clears throat> well, this was a, a car called a Pagani Hyura. There's a hundred of them. That's it. One hundred. That's it. Uh, it is all carbon fiber. You look at the outside of it, it's just beautiful. It's got these wings and the, the doors open weird. <laughs> it's just 750 horsepower engine. I mean, it takes off on a dime. And the price tag on that Pagani is $5 million. That's what the value of that car is worth. And I was Googling it, all about it, and on the Google, the Google, <laughs> it said there's two Paganis in Northern California. One's owned by uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and the other one's owned by the guy that's outside this shop right now. <laughs> so 
I went out and talked to the guy and took pictures of it. And uh, it's, it's awesome. You don't see $5 million cars that often. So I'm going to give you guys a scenario, and I want you to tell me what you think you should do, okay? You're at the lake. You've got a $5 million Pagani, and you've got a baby carriage with a baby in it, all right? And the Pagani's brakes aren't on, and neither are the baby carriage, and they're both going toward the water, and you can only save one. So which one do you save? I don't think you understand. There's only a hundred Paganis. There's lots of babies, right? You intrinsically know that a baby is far more valuable than a thing. You know it. In fact, if someone saved the Pagani, you'd say that guy's evil or weird or I don't know. If, if the owner did it, maybe it's different, but... The point is you guys would say, that's, that's sick. How could somebody save a car over a child? That's because we know the child has higher value. Now, when we think about God, how come he's not always first? There's nothing like him. Nothing. He's eternal. There never was a time that God did not exist. He existed in all eternity past in a perfect, loving relationship. And he decided to create a universe that we are in to share the love that he experiences out of his goodness. And we broke things. We broke this beautiful, created environment that he made for us. And instead of throwing us away, he went after us. He redeemed us. We learn in the Bible that, that angels sit around the, the throne and they worship him and his glory is so powerful that they can't even look at him. They have to wear sunglasses. <laughs> they, wear, they put their wings over their faces. God's value is so high that he's worth first place. And he knows what we need. And he knows our capacity. And he knows that if we're spending our time on things and money and relationships and things that are getting in the way of us and him, it's not good for us. But if we can trust him and put him first, then everything else is added to us. We actually become more productive by putting him first. So if you spend an hour a day in prayer, you think, oh gosh, I just lost an hour. You might find you get way more done than you ever got before. Now, Martin Luther, yeah, you can give God some praise for that. Martin Luther, he, he's called the father of the Reformation. I think it was 1517, don't quote me on it, but <clears throat> when he really started the Reformation, but he wrote 600 books. Uh, he spoke multiple languages. He, he had people constantly coming and visiting him. He preached all the time. The man's schedule was mind-boggling. Someone once asked Martin Luther, this is not King, the old guy, 1500s, okay. Uh, they asked him, how do you do everything? He said, well, I, I spend two hours a day in prayer. 
And he said, every once in a while, I have so much on my plate, I don't know how to handle it all. So on those days, I spend three. When it comes to priorities, the more we put God first, the more we will discover that the things we're struggling for over here are just added to our plate. Putting God first is, is, is something we can do by coming to church, by making this a priority. Even though Pastor Chris is gone, <laughs> he'd be super proud of you if you kept coming. By putting him first in our finances, by putting him per first in our days, those kinds of things put him in his proper place because he is the most valuable person. He knows what we need and he will supply those needs. And thirdly, putting important concerns first means staying connected to my source. Staying connected to my source. In the fall of 2019, Teresa and I, uh, we had moved to Santa Rosa and we were kind of settled in. Uh, but soon we discovered uh, everybody around there is very, a little post-traumatic stress because of the fire. The 2017 Tubbs fire came through that town and burned thousands of houses. In fact, we, we would go to one of the areas, Coffee Park, and it was almost completely decimated. 1,500 houses just in this one subdivision. And... Uh, so one of the things they discovered, and you all know this by now, because if you have PG, you pay exorbitant bills because of it, right? Uh, that the power lines had been swinging during heavy winds and trees had been hitting the power lines. and The power lines would catch on fire. And those fires are what was causing a lot of these problems. And so uh, in October during fire season, they would shut the power off. They would say, hey, we're going to have a power outage because there's a lot of wind. Um, one of the problems was a lot of those people in that area, they're, they're fairly well-to-do, and they had these very nice brand-new Teslas, right? Uh, they couldn't plug their Teslas in. And what if there was an emergency you had to escape? They were disconnected from the source. It put them in danger. In fact, a lot of people got rid of their Teslas, and they bought gas cars because... <laughs> You don't need electricity for those, and you can escape. When we're not connected to the source, we miss out on the power and the ability to even accomplish what God has for us. And it's not as easy sometimes as we think. In a very famous chapter, many of you have already heard, but very famous chapter in John 15, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. We're going to read it together and break it down a little bit. It starts off this way. I am the true vine. I'm going to stop there for a minute and explain this. When we read this in English, it seems like I am the vine. He's, he's giving us a metaphor, a, a cool. But if you were there and you heard him say these words, it was significant because these first two words, I am, he used a phrase in that culture called ego e me. He basically said, I am, I am. He did it multiple times, and John records it. It got him in trouble. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door to the sheep. I am the bread that comes down from the heaven. And he told one time the leaders, the religious leaders, I, before Abraham was, I am. He used the same words. And so what he told those leaders uh, was, do you remember Moses in the burning bush? And when Moses said, who shall I tell Pharaoh, your name, God? 
the burning bush, God through that burning bush said back to him, tell him I am sent me. I am that I am sent me. So when Jesus said this, he was equating himself with God. So understand when they're hearing this, they're going, they're hearing it again. He's claiming deity. I am the true vine. We get that mixed up a little bit because we think about the little vines that run across the top of a grapevine. What this really means is the trunk. It's this thing that supplies the life, the sap, everything that the branches need that the grapes grow on. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Kind of breaks them off. If they're dead, we know what that's like. We do that in our gardens, right? While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I, we, I have spoken to you. Now get this. He says, remain in me. He's telling us something we have to do. He's not telling us something that's happening automatically. He's saying, this is something you guys have to do. Remain in me as I also remain in you. He's not going to leave us period. But we can turn our back and walk away from him. We can disconnect ourselves from him. Doesn't mean we're not Christians, but we lose the power, the connection we have to him. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. This is Jesus on his last night with his disciples. He's saying, tomorrow, you're on your own as far as my presence with you, but remain in me. I'm going to remain in you. You remain in me. Stay connected to me. Have thoughts of me going through your mind throughout the day. When you have struggles, think of me. And I will never leave you. And honestly, when I talked about potential, this is one of the biggest reasons why we struggle with hitting our potential for him. It's because we keep having those periods of time where we disconnect from him. And it doesn't seem initially like it's causing any issues, but, but trust me, when we're disconnected, our lives may seem to be going on, but at that moment, we're not doing anything. We're doing nothing. Uh, I met with this guy for uh, a year. He and I would have uh, coffee once a week, and we would read the Bible together, and he was getting his life in order. He, he had been homeless for a while. And uh, it was kind of hard to watch, you know, to, to watch somebody trying to get back on their feet. And we would try and help them find a place. And it just seemed like things would fall through. And, um, but, but he was encouraged and he was, he was trusting the Lord. He was staying connected to the vine. And I'll never forget, finally, we got him a place. He found a place and uh, he had been estranged from his daughter for a long time. That was another thing we were working on and praying and praying over. And he had been reconnected to his daughter and things were going so well for him. And he was such a great testimony at that time. I, I was thinking about God's grace. Kind of what's going on with Janelle, right? We see God's healing and we go, God, you're so amazing. He was connected to God and God was doing wonderful things in his life. And a few weeks ago, I get a call from him and he's 
He's struggling. He has made some very horrible choices. And he would tell you that. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but he's struggling. And I, I went to meet with him and I spent time with him and I tried to help him. And he he just couldn't seem to connect back to God. And I, I remember I was uh, driving the truck with him and I said, hey, how's your relationship with God going right now? He goes, well, not great. I said, when was the last time you prayed? It's been a long time. I said, well, why don't you pray to him right now? Let's just pray. Okay, God. Oh, Jesus is so good to me. He, he, he was so good to me. He, he helped me and he saved me. And he, he kept talking about Jesus. He, 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 he. And I just sensed this disconnect. And I said, I don't mean to interrupt your prayer, but just, I just feel God telling me, stop talking about Jesus as if he's in the other room. Stop talking about him as, he's a, as if he's an old friend who you haven't seen for a while, who used to have a thing with. Just, he's in the car. Talk to him like he's right in front of you. And so he starts off, you're so good to me. You saved me, you. And as he started talking, he just broke and the tears just began pouring. It's just sobbing uncontrollably because he reconnected to the vine and he realized how much God loved him. And he knew God had done so much for him. When he was connected to the vine. Friends, as Sons and daughters of the king, as children of God, we have a big deal job to do. And there's only one way to do it, and that's be to be connected to him. Constantly throughout the day, connected to him. And I don't need to tell you how to do it. You can do it through prayer, do it through reading, staying connected to, to community. But we have got to stay connected if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. I told you about Santa Rosa. I lived in Santa Rosa uh, with Teresa for two years, and it's one of the darkest places spiritually in the nation. Uh, right around 1% Christian, evangelical Christian. Um, it's San Francisco is kind of the same way, very dark spiritually. I remember one time I was in a coffee shop, and I was uh, sitting next to this lady, and we struck up a conversation, and uh, I was telling her, yeah, I just moved from you know San Diego up here, and she, she asked me, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And her countenance changed me immediately. And the first question was, how much do you make? I was like, it's kind of none of your business, lady. No, I said, I said, uh, well, the church, you know, takes care of me. I'm not getting rich, but I used to be in sales. I did a lot better there. But um, I said, but uh, you should come to our church sometime. She goes, oh, Christians are all judgmental. And I, I don't want anything to do with church. And I said, oh, man, it breaks my heart to hear you say that because I think we have a really loving church. I mean, we, we accept everybody. We would love for you to come and visit us. I mean, would you come sometime and let me know what you think? I don't know. I'll think about it. She, you know, we parted ways. And I just want to tell you guys, Sonoma County, San Francisco, that's who's moving to Lincoln. I don't know if you know that or not. If you're a real estate agent, you know. 
People are moving into town that don't know Jesus. There are people that are in this town right now that don't know Jesus that have been here their whole lives. And how are they going to hear about him and his grace and how valuable and incredible he is unless someone brings the message to them? We have a massive job to do. And quite honestly, I think it overwhelms Pastor Chris at times. We need to be praying for him. If he's doing anything good, I guarantee you he's under attack. We need to pray for him. Stand in the gap for him. And we need to pray for each other. Just like we did with Janelle. We need to pray for each other and pray for ourselves to have boldness. Pray for ourselves that we would, that we'd take a challenge to try and reach our neighbor, invite our neighbor to our, our kid craze. It's not going to happen unless we do it. And it's not going to happen unless we're connected to the vine. Um, I want to leave you with, with this real quick. I, I had a friend, well, he's, he's an acquaintance, not a friend. I had dinner with him once, no, so I guess we're friends now. But um, he started this ministry called, uh, called City Impact in San Francisco. And so he tries to reach the, the hardest part of San Francisco. And this ministry went, started from him going to, to work one day and handing out his lunch. That was the first act of kindness to a blossoming, massive ministry where they reach all kinds of people. They have a school. They have, and time after time, he faced difficulties. One time they were reaching this giant community and uh, they had invited all these people to come and they got a big turnout, free food, right? Everybody came. And somebody came to him and said, we don't even have close to enough food. And he said, I was desperate. I just got on my knees and prayed. And they got up. Within an hour, they got a call from Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's said, hey, I know this is weird, but our freezers broke down. We have all this meat, and it's going to go bad. We don't know what to do with it. Is there anything you can do with it? He goes, yeah, we'll take it all. <laughs> and they got all this meat, and they had a massive banquet for all these homeless people and all these low-income people. That's just an example. God will provide what we need. We have to put ourselves out there, though, in faith in order to see God act. So let's get serious. Let's get serious about prayer. Let's pray for Pastor Chris, pray for each other, pray for our community. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you do not leave us to do all this alone. We have the power of the universe at our fingertips flowing through us if we would just put you first and seek you and stay connected to you. And so I just pray, there's no condemnation. I have spent times in my life disconnected. And so if somebody's feeling disconnected this morning, I just pray right now, they would put away any condemnation they may feel and just say, Lord, forgive me, I want to be back connected to you. And they could do that right now by just making a commitment to stay connected. And then when you disconnect, reconnect again. But there are some people here this morning that walked in that they may not know you. And they know what it feels like to worry about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear or where they're going to work. And they've never fully trusted you. 
And right now, their hearts are beating fast because they know it's true and they know they can trust you. And so if that's you this morning and you just feel right now that you need to trust God and you never have before, I just want you to pray this quick prayer with me. And I'd love it if we would all do it together as if we're all doing it for the first time. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I give my life to you. I want to stay connected to you. Use me so that I can be fruitful. And I will follow you the rest of my life. All right, if you prayed that for the first time, I want to say welcome to the kingdom. And after the service, if you come up afterwards and let me know, we have a Bible we'd love to give you uh, over by the chaplain's table. And I'm just going to pray as we dismiss. Father God, as we go out today, I just pray you would continue to let this message take root in our hearts and that today and the rest of this week, we would just feel different because we are connected to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.